Eliana, have you heard the big news? I think so. Yeah, you know it. There's a newsletter. It's called Hi El Rechos, where you can get a recap of everything we talked about each week. You just sign up for it. It'll come right into your inbox. That's the noise it makes. With all of the links to the stories that we talked about. So instead of going to our show notes to find them, they're collected and presented in a beautiful email. It does look very pretty. I have to say we previewed this last week. So go to our show notes for the last time. It's the last time if you don't like going there. But go to them to sign up for our newsletter. And then it will come to your inbox with all of the links to the pieces we talked about should you want to read them for yourselves. Do it. Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwalt. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American News Media. Eliana Johnson, let me ask you something. Are you, how, how autumnal of a person are you? I, I wonder, being from the upper Midwest, are you a fall person, not a fall person? I like fall. You're pro-fall. Would you, favorite season? I like spring more than fall, but. So, because it's getting warmer, because you don't mind it that hot, right? As a, as a, as a slender person, <laughs> you can. I think I think how it works. Well, I think I think for me, I like fall. I think me as a fat American, fall comes as this great relief where it's you're not hot anymore. And like I run my air conditioner until until like last week or the week before last. So I finally am cool enough that I feel like I can function and walk places. So that's good. Well, fall also means election season. Oh, I know. In this country. I know. I I have. We, we've, we, I've been very, very busy and it's weird when I talk to civilians and they're like, oh, I'd love to get together for what, and I'm like, do you have any idea? And then I have to remember not to, to say those things. And I say, well, that would be great, but maybe later in November. That doesn't ever happen to me. No, no quote unquote civilian ever comes up to me and tells me they want to get together with me. So. Oh, pish um, posh. Uh, pish. I, I, it's not something I yearn for either, but anyhow, the <laughs> elections brings us to our front page. We had the Pennsylvania Senate debate Oof. that pit Democrat John Fetterman against Republican Mehmet Oz. And Chris, we'll, we'll talk about the co- coverage, but dare I say Fetterman made Oz look good? Well, let's 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 listen to a clip. Here is the question. And by the way, I want to. This is uh, this is a familial pride. Next star which is my employer through News Nation. Yes, I watched it on News Nation. Was the, and I got to do analysis after the fact, which was fun and interesting. Well, it was sad and interesting. But the let's take a listen to, and by the way, the moderators were great and did a great job. Uh, let's listen to this exchange where John Fetterman gets asked about his position on fracking. Mr. Oz, I do want to clarify something. You're saying tonight that you support fracking, that you've always supported fracking, but there is that 2018 interview that you said, quote, I don't support fracking at all. So how do you square the two? Oh, uh, I, I, I do support fracking, and I don't, I don't, I support fracking. 
and I stand and I do support fracking. Okay, so let's we'll talk about the news about the news, but I just just for the for context here for anybody who doesn't know it. John Fetterman, the former mayor of Braddock, Pennsylvania, who got elected lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, which is like the mascot of state government, right? The lieutenant being lieutenant governor is not a not 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 a crucial position. But the Fetterman, his rationale for why he had to run for the Senate was that he was a bold progressive. And he was facing a guy in the Democratic primary named Connor Lamb, who's a congressman, also from Western Pennsylvania. And Connor Lamb is a moderate, an explicitly moderate Democrat uh, and very much of the Pennsylvania Democrat model, a button down dude. And Fetterman says, I got to be I got to run for Senate because of bold progressive. So if you can do a counterfactual, if John Fetterman had not had a stroke, this was still going to be a very bad debate for him because of the things he was saying. If you take out his impairment here and just listen to the answers. He's a guy who repudi- he repudiated Bernie Sanders. He said he had always been for fracking. He said all of the stuff that Connor Lamb was saying before. And so the sad part is there was no reason for John Fetterman to be dragging himself through this on that stage and running for office. And as I said at the time after the debate, I'm – I. The people, I understand how his wife and maybe his family could get sucked into the, we've got to run, we've got to run, we've got to do this. Remember, he had the stroke three days before the primary. They had months in which they he could have stepped aside and the Democratic committee, executive committee for the state could have put Connor Lamb. Anybody else in. But they had a second play. They had a qual- it wasn't like there was no one. They had a guy who finished second in the primary that they could have put in that slot. So I can see how his wife and how his family got sucked into like, we're going to do this, we're going to come back. I can see how he wanted to do it. But man, let me tell you, the political professionals making money off of his candidacy should be ashamed of themselves. John Fetterman does not need to run for the United States Senate. There's lots of lots of Democrats in Pennsylvania who could have run. John Fetterman did not need to be doing this. That they let him go out on that stage and do that, they should be. And that's downstream of like allowing him to be the candidate. Well, right, but that's, that's what you know, I mean. Yikes! But I'm I'm saying. If they, if if it is this bad now, what was it like two months ago? And can we just rewind to ten days ago when the NBC News reporter covering well, this race, Dasha Burns, said that she spoke to him and it was not clear that he could understand what well, she was saying. And the Fetterman campaign and a lot of the mainstream press, including Kara Swisher and, on her podcast excoriated her for having the temerity to pass along to the public her frank observations that came from the privilege of being up close to the Here's candidate. the headline in The Independent. Kara Swisher shuts down. Nonsense claim that John Fetterman couldn't follow conversation. Quote, sorry to say, but I talked to John Fetterman for over an hour without stop or any aids, and this is just nonsense. Maybe this reporter is just bad at small talk. I mean... And where is the apology... Was- yeah, or Sasha, exactly. Right, Dasha, Dasha, Dasha. I'm, I'm. Well, here's my apology. I'm sorry, Dasha, for getting your <laughs> name wrong. But the the piling on in the press for this young female reporter. How dare she say this? How dare she say it? They, she is owed an apology, right? Kara Swisher owes her an apology, and it it, it was weird at the time when it was happening. But seeing Fetterman's performance, I I did not know how weird. Also, Chris, 
in in terms of the coverage, if I have to read the word ableist one more time, like I I'm gonna flip because first of all, um, this is not a disability. You know, he had a a health a, a major health event, and he is recovering. And this is a part of his recovery. He was not born with some like deficit, and and also, I mean. I, I want these people to make the argument that somebody like Fetterman, like, what's the next grass, glass ceiling that, you know, the ableists or the, the like, pro, I don't even know what the term is, but, like, okay, should he be president? Should he be, should he be the chairman of the armed forces because we need to crack the glass ceiling on behalf of the, you know, cognitively impaired people? It is an absurd argument. Right now at the, where he is in his recovery, um, he is not fit to serve as senator because he lacks like the key ingredient, which is processing words and the ability to speak to constituents and make arguments for the job. And like that's no mark against him at no. all. And also, there's lots of people who can be senator. Again, he even having repudiated his core argument for running about being a bold progressive. In the debate, in the just the words that he said, in the positions that he was taking, and the his reversals of his prior positions, he he proved the point that he didn't need to be doing this. And I just uh, I, the, the this piece in the Atlantic from John H- Hendrickson. Well, this is the attempt to uh, you, I know you'll talk about the specifics, but this is the attempt to shame people for seeing what they saw and having the normal feelings that one would have having watched that debate but but tell us tell us like the argument I want to get I want to get the quote just so uh, yeah. quote unfortunately no disability accommodations not even 70 inch television monitors for real time captioning can change how our society stigmatizes verbal disfluency now look Herschel Walker It's called politics Herschel Walker pretty verbally disfluent right there are verbal disfluency. There'll be plenty of republic. If John Fetterman had done only as bad of a job as Herschel Walker, who did a bad job, right? Herschel Walker did not do a good job in his debate, but he did a basically good enough job to say to partisan Republicans, "Yeah, this guy is it's word salad. He can't he can't keep a thought in his head. He doesn't have any original thinking here." But he can effectively regurgitate talking points and sound bites. And I mean, look, Tommy Tuberville and Maisie Hirono are in the Senate. This is not a Mensa meeting over there, right? So I can there, there, I can see how Republicans could come to. I, I I saw some funny thing that was like a one picture refu- refutation that the Senate is an ableist body, and it was just a picture of Maisie Hirono. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, poor Maisie Hirono. The the idea, I, I guess I'll, I'll leave it here. To try to say, the, there's a correct thing. If you're a Democratic partisan, you know, you got to say stuff, which basically, the, and the correct argument would be for Democratic partisan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's going to get better and we still can't have Mehmet Oz, right? Because, by the way, Mehmet Oz against Connor Lamb would have been real bad for Mehmet Oz because he did not have a good debate performance. But because he had he was he was running unopposed basically, even his, you know, gaff about I would say gaff, 
but when he said that the making decisions should be a woman, her doctor, uh, and local elected officials, I was like, I don't know, like the mayor of Scranton? Uh, it seems weird. <laughs> but, you know, Oz didn't There have- was another weird moment, too, where he gave, he, he didn't, he wouldn't answer the question about the Lindsey Graham yeah. uh, abortion bill that was sort of weird. But, yeah, like, he was fine, but hardly, like, some kind of no. rock star. Right. And also, I, I, like, part part of me did wonder, you know, why he didn't say, like, hey, guys, you know, this is not a fair fight here. Like, I can't. Well, he definitely know. came off he as a tried, He yeah. tried to ignore it and treat him like a normal guy, which I get, and it was a strategy. And I sort of wonder what would have happened had it gone the other way. But he was in a tough position, too, because he, of the, what you know what the Fetterman campaign he had one. Did. He had one line that was a real cringer. He said, you know, did I not talk slow enough for you on that one or something? And it was like, oh, come on. Like, this guy's a wreck. Leave, you know, leave him alone. And But so this ableist line, you're not going to shame voters – into voting for John Fetterman, right? You might shame them into not talking about their concerns with you, but you're not going to shame them into voting for John Fetterman. And Democrats need, Pennsylvania Democrats made a mistake in nominating John Fetterman, period, right? But nominating him and letting him stay in that position after having a stroke was a serious mistake. And I say this when people are involved in scandal. I say this when people are have all, there are plenty of other people who can do the job let somebody else do it. And I get why Fetterman's ego, you know, the need to come back, like when you've been knocked down, you want to fight back. I understand that. I would probably feel the same way. But the people who love him, and especially the people who are making a living off of him, should have done the right thing. His wife was the one who went after the NBC reporter, by yep. the way. Well, and again, I get, how, I get how a spouse would get sucked into like the, she wants to protect him. She wants to, I get it. But man, everybody, everybody who's going to buy a sailboat with the money <laughs> that they make off of this race. Well, you know, there, there's a good chance that they end up without the seat and with all of the pain and humiliation that came exactly. with this. So exactly. It's uh, a real, you know, job, job poorly done. Woof. Okay. Up next, we have a, a yikes note from CNN president, Chris oh, yeah. Licht, the other Chris to, to CNN staff. He's, he's coming to the Halloween party as the Grim Reaper. Totally. And the headlines were amusing. The Hill says, new CNN chief says changes at network, quote, will not be easy. Yeah, no kidding. And essentially, he said that he spent the the last six months doing a review of the business. And the conclusion is layoffs are coming um, because. A lot of layoffs. Yeah, a lot of layoffs. Because is it, did I read, it's a thousand layoffs across? It, he, he did not say. Well, but across Discovery, there's been a call for, I think, a thousand. And they, they did not give him a number. Yeah. But across the board, Warner Brothers Discovery is laying people off. There are numbers in other sections of the company, but they didn't give him a number. But he says, he says, we will be strategic in this process and we'll minimize the impact on our core news ga- gathering operation and digital. Let me be clear, I will not allow these changes to affect our position as the world's leading news source. Our aim is to have most of these decisions made by the end of the year so we can start 2023 feeling settled and prepared for the future. So Merry Christmas. You know, certainly I feel bad for the folks who are going to lose their jobs. That's not that is not fun. But I also will say one of the problems that CNN has had historically is because they have overstaffed in certain areas, they lay off a lot. Right. CNN is a is a. You have to sort of choose. If you work at, when, when, when I was at Fox, 
there was never enough, right? We never had enough people. We never had a polit- We never had a dedicated politics unit. We never had that. We never had stuff. And we would look at other networks and say, "Oh man, they have all this other stuff." And then every other year, when they'd lay off three hundred people, we'd go, "Oh yeah, no, that's good. Actually, I'm glad because if you if you run lean." you're going to, it's going to hurt in one way. If you run fat, it's going to hurt in another. And so I, I hope that they can figure out how to make this work. Well, the other interesting thing was that he went to CNBC to do a big and long expose and spoke to them about this. And they have a long piece that we will link in our new newsletter. Find it. it there. That go it gets real really deep, but they say that between a merger, the Warner Brothers Discovery merger, sudden CEO departure of Jeff Zucker and Licht coming in, which brought an immediate end to the digital streaming service of CNN Plus, already hundreds of layoffs and the prospect of even more to come. Like you know, the atmosphere at that network is is real tense right now, mm-hmm. and you know I, I'm still interested in and focused on from Licht like. Okay, there's been a lot of like canceling and taking out. People have been fired and people have been moved around, but like okay, what what is the additive going to be? So what new is coming and like we're going to be watching that and we'll be telling you. I'm I'm keeping my eyes on it. Yeah, and you know, it there's no exact right answer and I know, you know, CNN is has been it's it's funny to think of this. CNN is it's 42 years old and it's been around for quite a while and they maintain an Atlanta presence because of Ted Turner and all that stuff. So some restructuring probably do, but I hope that, I hope, I hope he is good to his promise that it won't affect core news gathering. Up next, Chris, 60 Minutes did a long segment on the Fox News Dominion voting defamation lawsuit And we want to play a little clip of that for you guys. Defamation cases are hard to prove, aren't they? Yes, they are. The plaintiff has to prove what the law calls actual malice. You need to show basically that the defendant published or broadcast a deliberate lie, a calculated falsehood. They knew it was a lie when they broadcast it. They knew it was a lie or they knew it was probably a lie. How strong is Dominion's case against Fox and the others? I think it is much stronger than most defamation cases that I have seen. I might say it it is the strongest. That does not sound good. And, you know, being the editor-in-chief of a news organization that we we get a lot of letters, you know, threatening to sue. And most of them are total BS written to appease the client uh, who wants, like, you know, some demonstration of anger. But, like, you know, I, I, I know enough to know, like, when when the things are credible and enough about this stuff, like, this is not, does not look good. And add to that that I read this in legal news this week. There is a an attorney, a very high-powered attorney by the name of Viet Din, who, is, who helps Lachlan Murdoch run Fox, And as it turns out, he's a D.C. guy who is incredibly well-respected, litigated in front of the Supreme Court in D.C., and is out in California working. And Fox is now dealing with the news that he did not, he was not registered to practice law in California. And Dominion is now 
arguing that his communications with everybody at Fox should not be subject to attorney-client privilege. That issue has not been resolved, but that would be an enormous blow given the huge role he plays in the company. Well, so uh, things I, are not, it doesn't will, look good. I, I will reiterate that as a witness, potential witness in this case, I'm going to be very, very cautious talking about this stuff, only that, you know, the this is this has gone on a lot longer than I thought it would. I had assumed this case would have settled quite a while ago, and the fact that it hasn't, I think, speaks to the the stakes. And I guess we're getting ready to find out. Up next, Fox adjacent. Well, not really adjacent, but Axios had quite an interesting story that Tucker Carlson lashed out at the at Tom Emmer, who is running the campaign arm of the National Republican, Republican Congressional campaign effort. Committee. Yeah. Yes. And Carlson's son, Buckley, works for Jim Banks, who is a potential challenger to Emmer. If Republicans retake the majority, there will be a race for the number three position in the Republican Congress, which is co- in the Republican conference, which is the whip. Right. And so Emmer is likely to face off against Banks. Carlson's son works for Banks. And tell us the rest. Reading Jonathan Swan, an irate Tucker Carlson phoned uh, Rep. Tom Emmer, R. Minnesota, chairman of the House Republican Campaign Committee, with an ultimatum on Friday, either reveal which staff member took a swipe at Carlson's son, a Capitol Hill aide, in an article about internal GOP politicking, or the and Fox— this is an article about the potential race between for Banks and Emmer for the whip seat. Or the Fox host would assume Emmer himself was to blame for the quote— and here, of course, because it's Axios, uh, it has to say why it matters, because apparently Jonathan Swan cannot be trusted just to write a news article. Two weeks before the midterms, the chair of the National Republican Senate headed into high stakes leader, da, 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 all the stuff that you said. Uh, the inside drama. Oh, my gosh. Just skip the backstory. The source of the Fox News host anger was a Daily Beast article published early Friday detailing the already vicious backroom jousting. And the quote is from an anonymous GOP strategist that Banks, quote... Which, like, you know, I don't know if Tucker's too... I, he, we know he is familiar with how sourcing works in this town, but, like, literally that could be, like, you know, the dude anyone. at the diner. Right, that could be anyone. Uh, deep down, and this is the quote, deep down, he, talking about Banks, which is true, dies to be liked by the establishment. He hires Tucker Carlson's son, a 24-year-old kid, to be his communications director. And this is... This all checks out on Jim Banks, who is an incredibly ambitious, incredibly thirsty, who person who has changed his stance, he, he, his embrace of Magadum and all of this stuff. I, th- I think it speaks for itself. Where and, is he on verbal fluency, though, Chris? And I, <laughs> I and I don't and I don't understand why the quote is is negative about. I, I, don't, I don't see why it's such a bad beatdown on Buckley Carlson. Do I don't get it. But uh. So Emmer repeatedly asserted to Carlson that his office had nothing to do with the background quote about Carlson's son. Carlson was unpersuaded. He made clear to Emmer that he now had a personal problem with him. Ever to pacify, Emmer worked to distance himself more from the quote, even shift blame to another member of leadership staff. That's cool. Uh, according to two sources familiar with his comments. And here, it, then it goes on. So Marjorie Taylor Greene and Donald Trump Jr., go out as flying monkeys for Tucker Carlson to attack Tom Emmer. And it's, I guess, like, why? 
Can you make sense of that? I, I cannot make sense of this. Can you well, make sense of I this? Well, I mean, my read of this was just that, you know, Tucker's Tucker's going to bat for his son, but it ends up like, I don't, this is not helping your son for this no. kind of stuff to leak. Like, it's going to come out. It's ridiculous. Like, the kid is a grown, I mean, he's a kid, but he's, he's an adult, and um, he's doing a good job working for banks. You know, Beacon works with them. We get their press releases like this is not helpful. And it, it's it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. And I mean, part of the thing about having a famous father or a famous parent, you get advantage. It, it's a mixed blessing, right? You get some advantages, but you get some disadvantages. And I, I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't understand what's going on there. But I guess that's not for me to understand. Chris, you got the next few. Hit it. Oh, Hit us. oh. OK. So this goes into the Kanye West category. So Laura Logan, we're like, what category is that? So so Laura Logan was victim of terrible crime when she was in Egypt covering the Arab Spring, and when she was a correspondent for CBS. And then I don't know what her state of mind was before that, but after that, she ended up getting she ended up losing her position at CBS. Fox hired her, but by the time Fox had hired her. She was going on Sean Hannity with to really talk about her hatred for the mainstream press and the liberal media, and she had turned into a. Well, the the reason that she was pushed out of CBS was over a sixty minute segment that she did okay. about Benghazi. Okay, that was called into question, and it was at a time of crisis for sixty minutes, where there were a few segments like this. The guy who had running was running sixty minutes ended up resigning, but sixty minutes, like at that time, you know, this is eight, eight, ten years ago, was like the storied franchise. And yeah. so this was high stakes. There was a lot of attention on it. Um, anyhow, she was pushed out in this when her, you know, she was one of the people in the mainstream who covered Benghazi, which was not common, and she was pushed out over issues with that segment. So she lands So, so she, she lands, lands at, at Fox, Fox and with, a, with, a, with an axe to grind about her treatment there, maybe understandably, but it was clear pretty early that she was – conspiratorially minded maybe and she didn't last at fox and moved on and then newsmax hired her and here's the piece from the daily beast nearly a year after she was kicked to the curb by fox news for essentially calling dr anthony fauci a nazi laura logan was on newsmax primetime's airwaves pushing QAnon tropes invoking blood libel and fear-mongering about a global cabal planning to dilute the pool of patriots in the United States with 100 million illegal immigrants. Newsmax then condemns. We have no plans to interview her again. She was on with a former Fox dude, Eric Bowling. So it's the Fired by Fox interviewing Fired by Fox. And they should have had me. No, I kid, I kid. The The stuff that she said was pretty bad. And my my only point in bringing this story up is, if you know someone is struggling, don't put them on TV, right? Don't interview Kanye West. Don't interview Laura Logan. It's not surprising to find out that Laura Logan has some radioactive views, right? That it, 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 didn't, it should not come as a surprise to anybody these things. And I would just say, when you know somebody's troubled, don't go for the cheap ratings. Don't go for, like, because you're going to, not only will it blow up in your face like this, but it's not humane. It's not decent. It's not good for Laura Logan for people to keep putting her on TV, right? It doesn't help her get better. It doesn't help her career. It doesn't really help her at all. 
And it's actually. I mean, Chris, she's like on Newsmax spouting conspiracy theories. So I don't really know like what the upward trajectory for the career is from here. But I don't even, but even beyond just the career, it's just not good for her. And I just, this is your weekly reminder that if you see somebody who's struggling, don't put them on television. This is my silent cue to Chris. Like, hit us with hit us with the next item. Oh, let's keep it. Let's keep the train rolling. All right, all right. Well, this was kudos to the Seattle Times. <laughs> this, okay. So, local councilman. This was sent by sent in by a, a, a fan of the show who lives in Seattle. Seattle council member. Oh, is this is the third pop up really necessary in Seattle Times? <laughs> Seattle council member Sawant says her property is being vandalized vandalized, criticizes police investigation. A Seattle Council Member Kishama Sawant criticized the city's police department Wednesday for its response to repeated, quote, disturbing incidents at her home. Now, the backstory is that she was a defund the police. I don't know whether she was, what was the, what was the, the movement that they had in Seattle during the protests, but whatever. She was she was hard. She was hard on the police. Is what she was during the during the summer of 2020 and all of this stuff. Okay, according to Swant, bags of human excrement have been thrown on the lawn of her private residence six times, including as recently as last week. And the Seattle Police Department has failed to properly investigate. So, quote, the material used in these repeated attacks is classified as biohazardous waste. The police inform me the material can't be sent to their lab for further investigation due to its hazardous nature. This seems quite odd, considering that hospital labs do tests on human fecal matter all the time, but it does not speak to the danger of having it repeatedly thrown in one's yard. Sawant wrote in a letter to police and city leadership on Wednesday, noting that she had to call poison control on one instance after her, oh, dogs got into a bag of waste. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Anyway, the it, go, it goes on. It goes on from there. But the the I, I basically include it for the fact that the Seattle Times covering politics in Seattle, dealing with this kind of stuff in a place as politically insane as Seattle requires a pretty deft touch. And I think they handled this deftly. And I think they did not I, they didn't lean into it too much, handled it in a straightforward way. It's an interesting story, and they did a good job with it. Though, appropriately, final thing on the story, editor's note, the comment thread on this story has been closed to new submissions because too many recent comments were violating our code of conduct. Chris, Chris was I, having a lot of fun in there. I bet, I just bet that it did, and the, oh, my favorite, where's my favorite quote? The throne of excrement. Oh, yes. According to Sawant, the police have failed to seriously investigate the incidents reported by her and her husband, ignoring two witnesses, refusing to test the fecal matter, not taking video evidence collected by a neighbor, woof, and not investigating a recent email sent to Sawant in which she in which the sender calls her the, quote, queen of expletive and tells her to, quote, sit on her throne of human excrement. So there you have it. News from Seattle. If you think covering Pennsylvania politics is bad, try city of city of Seattle politics. What about this poll, Chris, on the mainstream media? Oh, this is for you. Enlighten us. This is for you. So in the New York Times-Siena poll that was out beginning of the week, whatever, new poll. More than half of all... If you haven't heard about this poll, you might be living under a rock because it is is all the mainstream media talked about for like 48 hours straight. More than half of all registered voters see the mainstream media as a threat to American democracy, according to a new poll, a New York Times-Siena College poll. Blah, 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 found 59% of voters 
view the media as, quote, a major threat to democracy, while 25% said the press is a minor threat and only 15% says it poses no threat. I think what is interesting here, and I really do like the poll. They did a great job. And this is a really good question. In the media, we are often the ones talking about what the threats to democracy are. But if you just stop for a second and ask people, they see us as a threat to democracy, right? And for all of the, the hyperventilating, and these are numbers so high, right? These Fortunately, it, Chris, I don't consider myself a part of the mainstream media recovering. Well, but yes, you're the problem. More than half of all registered voters see the mainstream media, and that's not actually what the poll says, right or at the Hill. It just says the media. As a threat to American democracy, according to a new poll, 59% of voters see the media as, quote, a major threat to democracy, while uh, 25% said the press is a minor threat and only 15% poses no threat. The divide fell sharply along partisan lines, with 87% of voters who supported former President Trump, duh, indicating that they view the media as a major threat. Well, 33% of Biden voters during that election said the same thing. Even a third of Democratic voters from 2020 saying that is a message to our business, right? We spend so much time, I don't, and we've talked about, what do you call it? Democracy dies in darkness porn. What's your term for it? Oh. It was good. It was it was succinct. It was... Democracy and paraporn is what, thank you, Colin, is what you called it. And, there, you know, there's, there's way too much of it. It's one of those things like nuclear war, which is there is a, you can talk about it too much and have the, the, opposite of, the opposite desired effect. And the fact that so many Americans, including so many Democrats, I mean, you're talking here about. One in three Democrats. Yeah, but, but of, the, of the population as a whole, you're talking about 85% of all Americans, see the media as a threat to democracy. And you know what? They're right. I heard someone wrote a book about this recently. Oh, yes. If listeners are interested, they can find it. Oh, Broken News. National bestseller, Broken News, How the Media Range Machine Divides America and How to Fight Back. But, it, you know, these 85% of Americans are correct. And that doesn't mean that we need to have the government take over the press and it doesn't mean that we need to do other things, but we should be more responsible producers and consumers. And I like this poll question. I think it's good medicine for democracy and peril porn, as you call it. And people ought to, journalists who are doing this stuff ought to remember that they're part of the problem, not just the solution to it. Chris, we have different takes on the next item. Okay. And we are coming to our style section, A32. Mm-hmm. But- the former owner of The Hill, Jimmy Finkelstein, is, has raised $40 million to launch what he describes, what they describe as a, a combination, It's you know, in spirit of the Daily Mail and the Washington Post, which I read as like, you know, a gossipy DC rag. So okay. I'm very excited about that. But you are not as excited. Well, I mean, I, it's not something I need. I it. And here it is. This is our first article ever from Semaphore by Max Tanney. The media uh, entrepreneur Jimmy Finkelstein has taken one step closer to launching a new entrant, blah, 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 blah. Raised $40 million. It's called JAF Communications, which I guess are his probably his initials. Finkelstein, heir to a New York real estate fortune. It's going to be called The New Statement. Who now lives in West Palm Beach, formerly ran the parent company Hollywood Reporter, magazine The Hill. He sold to local television giant Nexstar in 2021 for $130 million. He's been mum on the specifics, talked to a number of prominent Washington journalists, 
search for an editor continues. He brought on longtime partner Richard Beckman. And it sounds so I guess it's a gossipy political publication. I'm I'm ready for it. I, I'm I'm fatigued by it in advance. I am already fatigued by it, but I will try to keep an open mind. I'm so ready for it. I will I will I will not close I will not close my mind to it in advance. All right. Well, just to underline the need for a better DC based publication <laughs> um, for our style section item, we have the important news. Thanks oh to the Washington gosh. Post. This is the headline in the business Earmuffs. section. Earmuffs. America has a black sperm donor shortage, period. Black women are paying the price, period. Because apparently, you know, black women who are using sperm donors only want babies with black fathers, or so the article, you know, basically says. And a woman is quoting in the article saying, I, I'd say I spent 40 hours a week looking for a donor. Altogether, I think I searched more than 800 hours. But when it came to a black donor, she said the choices were slim to none. So, you know, what a problem that everybody needs to read about. But it, uh, insane piece. What would, I, I don't mean to yes, be. Yes, give us the counterfactual, please. I don't, I don't mean to be, because I, I, I know why. I'm not, a, I'm not a, a complete idiot. But just flip this around for a second. If it were any, if it were, if it were, what if it were. Scandinavians. What if it were Americans of Scandinavian descent are looking for Scandinavian sperm and they're having a hard time that women who want to procreate and or women and lesbian couples, women, women who are looking for uh, donated sperm say none of it's white enough. I'm really looking for a super white sperm donor. And by the way, the definition of what is black is also totally it, it, it being black, it you can unless you're I get as Rachel Dolezal proved, it can be a, a a a concept or a construction. But this article, the the implicit racism of this article, and I do feel the plight of black women who want to have a black child, who it's important to them. I understand why that would be important to them, but this is weird. This racial obsession is weird and I, I can't imagine why this is discussed in this way. And again, just flip it around. If it was a white woman complaining about not enough white white sperm donors, the Washington Post would decry that, right? They would say that that, and I understand why situation is different, but like think it through and quit being so divisive maybe. That brings us to our obsessions. That was almost going to be my obsession. That was a close call. But, but we now come to our obsessions. These are the stories we really couldn't get out of our heads. Chris, ultimately, that was eclipsed by, dun, 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 the New York Times, which has oh. a long piece by Jonathan Weissman, which we will link in our newsletter that you should sign up for. Visit our show notes and sign up and you'll get it in your inbox. The headline is, with ads, imagery, and words, comma, Republicans inject race into campaigns. And the upshot of the piece is that by em embracing the argument that Democrats are soft on crime mm. and are not have embraced policies like no cash bail, softer penalties for criminals, all of this following the riots and looting that took place right before the 2020 election, this is playing into racist tropes. 
So the subheadline is running ads portraying black candidates as soft on crime or as, quote, different or dangerous. Republicans have shed quiet defenses of such tactics, tactics for unabashed defiance. And this is racist. Chris, I will. I color me shocked. There was no mention here of Democrats playing into dangerous stereotypes about black men in their attacks on Herschel Walker and, you know, his violent episodes and his, you know, fathering children for whom he's not around for. And, you know, that is that is totally not dangerous, not playing any into any stereotypes there. But Republicans, this is beyond the pale. Chris Hartline, a spokesman for the Na- Republicans. Oh, this was the best comment. This was the comment they deserved. Chris Hartline, a spokesman for the Republican Senatorial Committee, uh, said the following. This is stupid, but not surprising. We're using their own words and their own records. If they don't like it, they should invent a time machine, go back in time, and not embrace dumbass ideas that voters are rejecting. Could have done without they, the dumbass they there, got what Mr. They Hartline. Uh, could have, you, could, you didn't need to cuss. But the the recitation of, I wondered how long it would take to get to the Willie Horton ad. Oh, 100%. And, and, the, and now look, the Jesse Helms hands ad was racist, right? Because it wasn't about crime. It was about affirmative action. And it was a race-baiting ad that Jesse Helms used to get reelected in which a white, a, guy, a white guy is losing his job to a black guy. And it was, it was clearly intended to play on racial resentment in North Carolina. Absolutely. Willie Horton definitely was furloughed from prison under Governor Michael Dukakis's program, Willie Horton definitely raped a woman while he was furloughed from prison. That's true. Willie Horton was a black guy. And they they describe that as playing on white fears and resentments etched into the country's political consciousness. And so here in uh, As if as, by the way, as if um African Americans are not victims of crimes who don't have like, you know, fears and resentments of their own over these issues and this, I want to read this paragraph because this is how you do politics, you masquerade as a journalist and do politics, is a paragraph like this. If the intervening decades, and that's between the Willie Horton ad, saw, tacti- saw such tactics become harder to defend, the rise of Donald J. Trump shattered taboos as he spoke of rapist immigrants and shithole countries in Africa. Whoa. We can believe that. <laughs> and the Caribbean. But while Republicans quietly stood by advertising that Democrats called racist in 2018, this year they have responded with defiance, saying they see nothing untoward in their imagery and nothing to apologize for. Here is the this month uh, Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville, call him coach, of Alabama, said Democrats favored reparations for the people that do the crime, <laughs> <laughs> suggesting the movement to compensate the descendants of slavery was about paying criminals and Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican of Georgia, made explicit reference to replacement theory. I mean, this really has nothing to do with the ads that the story is talking about. Zero. So the the point here being Tommy Tuberville and Marjorie Taylor Greene say awful things all the time. And Republicans, by the way, should be ashamed of the way that they suck up to Marjorie Taylor Greene. And it it, is... the, her journey from the QAnon fringes and anti-Semitic fringes of the internet into Kevin into the bosom of Kevin McCarthy's heart is it speaks ill of what House Republicans are doing. But the idea 
And here's the here's the line. In North Carolina, an ad against Sherry Beasley, the Democratic candidate for Senate, who is black, features the anguished brother of a white state trooper killed a quarter century ago by a black man whom Miss Beasley, then a public defender, represented in court. The brother incredulously says that Ms. Beasley, pleading for the killer's life, said he was actually a good person. Now, I think it's rotten when defense lawyers are called out for who they defend. Everybody deserves a criminal defense. She was a public defender. She was assigned a case. She represented to the best of her abilities. That's what we need people to do. So I think it's not cool to do that. But do you think that the NRSC would not have done that? to a white candidate for Senate? Do you think that if she, if she was, if, if Sherry Beasley was a white lady, do you think that they wouldn't have run that ad? No, of course not. They would have run that ad. The ethical thing here is about, about right to representation, not about her race. And same with Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, where Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, who is black, is the Democratic nominee for Senate, National Republican Senatorial Committee, ad targeting him ends by juxtaposing his face with those of three Democratic House members, all of them women of color, and the words different and dangerous. I'm sorry, what? If you're running against Mandela Barnes, you're not supposed to talk about Ilhan Omar? Is that correct? You're not allowed to talk about... The squad. Yeah, you're not the, allowed the to talk who about his that. Allies in Congress would be. I, I this is. It, it. I mean, it is rank stupidity. And, and and it is. It is this like, you, Jonathan Weinsman, you should be on the payroll of the Democrat Senate Committee and the Democrat campaign Congressional Campaign Committee because they couldn't have said it better. The it, it just mashing all this stuff together and saying Marjorie like I don't know it's just it this is. This is this is lazy. That's what I say. Oh, you want me to talk about my obsession? I, now? I'm ready. Is that right? Okay, let's listen to a clip of Edward Rafael Cruz on the View. Try to say the election was fair and square and legitimate. You know who y'all don't do that to? You don't do it to Hillary Clinton, who stood up and said Trump but stole the election. You the don't, yeah, they didn't try to kill Stacey my former Abrams, who said, who said that the election was stolen. They sat here yes. and said it was That's illegitimate, right. and, and, it and was. you guys were fine with it. Okay, so, so, so it's illegitimate did, did when Republicans she, did, win, the, but not when Democrats win. No, win. you know, here's the thing. We may not like when Republicans win, but we don't go and we don't storm. We don't try to change what... Did I miss an entire year of Antifa riots where cities across this country were burning and and police cars were being firebombed? Your position is the left doesn't engage in violence, really? Okay, so here's the thing. The view is stupid. We know the view is stupid, right? Can we agree on that? You know, when I was at Fox, we had these little tiny TVs on our desks, and a lot of the a lot of the girls I worked with would watch The View every day, and I never understood it. Never Why? understood it. I don't know. I don't it's know. It's the dumbest. I uh, mean, it's like I can't even say if it's stupid because I don't watch it. Well, there was a period of time where if you were running for president, you had to go on The View. Now, when Barbara Walters left The View, or I, she may be still on it. I don't know. But it's, no. well, is she she's alive. She's alive. Okay, but The View. I'm not. I'm. I'm not trying to hold The View to any journalistic standard. By the way, did you see? Did you see Ted Cruz went to the Yankees-Astros game wearing Astros attire? Did you see this? Well, you're asking me if I saw something having to do with Major League Baseball. So, you know, it's a rhetorical question, Chris. So Ted Cruz has adopted the ultra-troll strategy. And we know that Ted Cruz is 
currently the top or one of the top trolls in Congress. And his his strategy for 2024 seems to be inciting as much hatred against him as he possibly can. And I write about in my book, uh, there was a study that was done about social media interactions with stories about different members of Congress. And by the way, the interactions are like 90% negative because it's right-wingers attacking left-wing politicians, left-wingers attacking right-wing politicians. Ted Cruz had the most interactions per story of any of the 35 members of Congress that they tracked. And so Cruz is like the ultra troll. He The left hates Ted Cruz in a special way. Like, I guess the left hates Ted Cruz like the right hates AOC. Would she be the, is that is that correct? Is she the... Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good analogy. So Cruz is leaning into this going on the view for Ted Cruz. Why does Ted Cruz go on the view? Ted Cruz does not go on the view to convince anybody. He goes on the view to generate this kind of garbage, right? He goes on the view to generate hate watches and he goes on the view to do that stuff. And I would just say that if you are a consumer of normal news, if you see people going in for a beating like this, right? This is like James Buster Douglas going in to fight Mike Tyson. When you see people putting themselves in these situations and you see organizations, institutions doing this, turn it off. Don't give Ted Cruz and The View what they want. They want hatred. They want division. They want to foment these bad feelings and this sourness. No one cares what Whoopi Goldberg, no one should care what Whoopi Goldberg thinks about Ted Cruz, and no one should care what Ted Cruz thinks about Whoopi Goldberg. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't have anything to do with Texas. It doesn't have anything to do but Ted Cruz's effort to use the hatred that he can generate to raise more money and increase his standing in the Republican Party. It's gross, and don't be a part of it. So when you see it, I'm just telling you, when you see it, when you're out there and you see that click and you're like, oh, you'll never believe what Marjorie Taylor Greene said. You'll never believe what Ted Cruz said. Believe it. Move on. Go look for somebody who's arguing in good faith, not somebody who is going on The View or a Jerry Springer-like SmackDown session. Chris, this brings us to my favorite time of the week, which is reader mail. Heck yeah. Okay, up first, we have a note. Well, we actually have two notes about the all-important McRib. The first one is from Bill in New Jersey. Okay. And Bill writes, Chris, if you like the McRib, check out the Wawa Hot Turkey Hoagie or the Hot Turkey Bowl with Rice. As a sandwich, I like it with just cheese. But the Goobler is a Thanksgiving dinner (laughs) on a roll made with hot turkey, gravy, cranberry sauce, and stuffing. I want that. You want a hot? I want the Thanksgiving dinner on a roll. Okay, Nate Moore, the intrepid Nate F. Moore, tells us that it is the typo. It's not the Goobler, thank God. It's the Gobbler. The Gobbler. You can get the Gobbler, thank God, but it is the Gobbler. So when you say the phrase hot turkey bowl with rice, I am so Yeah, I'm not into I'm the bowl. I'm not into the bowl. Yeah, don't do but you would you would have a hot I think I think the goobler, the goobler gobbler is I'm I'm for it. Thanksgiving dinner on a roll. That's good. I will make a sandwich like that following Thanksgiving. Pretty excited about it. Obviously, that's good. And you like that with the cranberry sauce? Oh, and stuffing. Okay. All right. All right. I, I next up we have Carrie writing Chris. Okay. Could it be that your beloved McRib is on its swan song? Because, and I saw this in the window of McDonald's, 
It's advertised as the McRib's farewell tour. Well, how many farewell tours has Elton John had? Okay, so you're saying now. So this is a debate I've been having with my eldest man-child who expressed alarm that the McRib was going away. He loves it too? Of course. Everybody, I mean, it's a tradition. Again, I have one McRib a year. This year I'm going to have two because we're going to have one together. Yep. But I have one McRib every year, but we look forward to it, and it's great. But I know the truth that McDonald's is scarcity is a wonderful marketing technique, right? If you can create the idea among people that a good is scarce, sort of like soon, you know what? Oh, you know what story will be on the morning television news uh, starting in about two weeks, a week? What? Hot toy for Christmas. You can't get it. You can't oh, get it. Oh. <laughs> no one can get the. And whatever. I'm going to be one of the people trying to get it this Tickle year. Me Elmo. Whatever it is. Right. I, I, I won't tell you how much I paid for an Xbox Five when they came out, but it was a lot. It was. It, I have. I have certainly paid less for cars that I have owned. Now that speaks to how crappy the cars were, but I have certainly paid less for a car than I paid for that Xbox or what is it? No, a PlayStation. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, boys. I didn't mean to say that. It would, I know you would never, you would never go Microsoft, but you, so, so that, that will be, oh, and it's, oh, you know what else we forgot to mention? What? Well, we'll come back with it next week, but you know what other kind of dumb story it's time for? Halloween safety. Oh, I knew you were going to say Halloween like whatever safety. this or that in your Halloween candy. Yeah, look at look out for heroin. So look out for people shooting your gummy bears full of heroin. Dumb Halloween safety stories coming up next. Don't worry about that. And again, hot tip, drug addicts do not give away their drugs. So don't worry about that. All right, what's our next letter? Our next letter is from Les, who says, when... Lent rolls around next year. Try a Wendy's fried fish sandwich. Well, I don't have to do Lent, but Chris will. Managers actually load load up on them during Lent to pack them away because people love them so much. It's worth a shot. Les, my brother, you don't need to live like this anymore. <laughs> you don't need to live like this anymore. I am from the town with America's greatest fried fish sandwich, Coleman's Fish Market in Wheeling, West Virginia, shipped in every day from Boston. Fresh, delicious. They fry it in grapeseed oil. It's super hot, super crispy, lightly dusted, fantastic on squishy white bread. Best fish sandwich in America. I am not eating a Wendy's fish sandwich ever in my life. I do like their cheeseburgers. They're really well, good. obviously, I you know in the category of unpopular opinions that I'm willing to lay down right now, Wendy's is better than Five Guys. I would eat a Wendy's burger. I I, of five I guys. agree with that, and I don't like Five Guys fries. Five Guys fries are pretty good no, if they're oh, crispy enough, no, if they no, cook no. them enough, if they cook them enough. No. But Wendy's is underrated. The the double the double with everything is a good burger. There I said it. Tom Ooh, from Smithfield, North Carolina has a, a, a non-fast food item, our only non-fast food letter this week. We have a real he, sophisticated says, audience. I wonder if the wretches should add a wretched head category to the weekly follies. For example, CNN could be a contender. With our pets are part of the climate problem, these tips can help you minimize their carbon paw prints. (laughs) That is amazing. And then Tom says, speaking of which, am I hopelessly wretched for listening to ancient episodes that predate following your podcast? Kindest regards. And you're Ron McRibs. He got in a fast food reference. Um, Chris, I'm going to have you answer. Tom, congratulations on living in the home. Sorry. I screwed up. That was me. Congratulations for living in the home of, if, if Bacon in America has a hometown, you're, you're living in it. So congratulations on that. 
Smithfield, North Carolina, the dine on swine. And so that's cool. And I think I, I would, I'm going to go far as, as so far as to invite listeners to submit their own wretched head submissions, wherever you find them, send us your wretched heads and we will include them. And folks, you've got a long way to go to beat carbon paw prints. You've got a long way to go. Mr. Goff has set a high standard with his first one, and I hope that, that we'll keep this forever. All right. Where do they email us? Wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. And, Chris, it is now time for your favorite moment of the week. Where I am forced to say something nice, but you are going to lead by example. Okay. Since I'm so hard on the Washington Post, I'm pleased that my favorite item this week comes from Paul Schwartzman at the Washington Post. Everyone who's won this seat in Congress has gotten divorced afterward. And it it starts with a story of, uh, well, I'll just I'll read you the lead. One marriage ended after the congressman took up with his chief of staff. Another broke up when the House member could not persuade his wife to stay. Then there was the spouse who cheered on his wife's campaign only to walk out after she won the election. The stories differ, but they have something in common. They all involve the congressional representative from Oregon's 5th District. All five lawmakers who have held the seat over the past 40 years have gotten divorced while in office. And what's interesting, so the uh, folks who are running now are Democrat Jamie McLeod Skinner and Republican Lori Chavez de Remer. And they took this. It's this a, is the kind of content I imagine being in that new hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like. The Jimmy Finkelstein's new rag. This is this is the content that I crave. So what's it, what I like about this is they wrote it in a humane way. It's a light. It is a light. They used a light touch, and but talked about in a real way the stress and the pain that is attached to what families go through. And one of the things, you know, every year when every two years when the new class of House members is elected. They're invited to the Harvard, Harvard's Kennedy School of Government for basically a crash course in this is how it works. They should also get some pretty fundamental advice on how to live and be a person, right? Because this is really hard on families. They don't make that much money. Often getting elected to Congress reflects a downward, a downward income. There's maybe less money coming in. They're living in two places. The person is now a celebrity. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of push me, pull me. And I thought this was a good, I thought this was a really good piece. All right, Chris, my favorite item this week is, you know, Harvard is embroiled in this huge affirmative action case that is going to the Supreme Court. And obviously the legal representation is costing them millions of dollars. And the school, you know, where the most brilliant minds supposedly are collected, they did not notify their backup insurance carrier that they were embroiled in this lawsuit. And they're now trying to litigate to get the insurance carrier to pay the millions of dollars in legal fees. But they, like, missed the notification deadline by oh, no. months and months and months and months. It was like, let me see exactly are how. You go- are you going Are you going to disclose against interest and tell people that you went to Yale and are delighting in your arch rivals? Uh, I'm not. I would, be, I would be just as amused if it was Yale or Princeton or any of these schools. It is. Okay, so the quotes in here are amazing. 
One of the nation's top universities is apparently not great about doing its homework, said David Latt, a legal commentator. And we have a theme here, which is like, you know, some of these top legal minds, like, you know. Check the paperwork. Details matter, people. And then another quote. Somebody seriously messed up, said Tom Baker, a law professor at the University of Pennsylvania. I teach about this stuff. One of the things you teach people about claims made policies is that you've got to provide notice early and often. It is amazing. And then the people suing Harvard, the guy, the the group suing Harvard, the guy comes in and says like, oh, I'm just basically doing this, you know, for the good of the country. And I pay myself a $48,000 a year salary and, I'm, you know, that's it. So it's very, very streamlined. $27 million they've spent defending this case. Going to the Supreme Court this term. Yikes. So with that, read that case in our newsletter. Don't forget. But that is all the time we have left. For the news about the news. If you have a story you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. That's podcasts with an S. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches. 